the Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life. Hello, friends. I'm David Pasqualone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Remarkable People podcast. Out of 60-plus episodes we've recorded, I have had such a great experience with almost every guest but one, and I'm not going to tell you who that is. And with these guests, just like all people, sometimes you click on a deep personal level. Sometimes you click on a spiritual level. Sometimes you click on a professional level. And these are people you want to hang out and have fr- be friends with. Well, today's guest, I just love this guy. Even though we never met, we were connected through Louise Bedford and Chris Tate, our Australian investors from another episode of the podcast. Jeremy, our guest today is just a remarkable guy full of enthusiasm, has great life experiences and story that his journey can help you and me grow. And he's just a phenomenal human from everything I know about him. So this week's episode of the Remarkable People podcast is with our friend and brother, Jeremy Newsom. And he is also the host of his own podcast. He is an investor. He's going to talk about money and stocks and investing and cryptocurrency and all sorts of good stuff. But he's going to teach you about his life, what he learned from it, and what we can too. And like all our episodes, they go deep, they go wide, and they're more than just the title. So listen, do, and repeat what you hear for life so you can have an amazing life in this world and in the eternity to come. So at this time, Jeremy, please Take it away. The show's yours, brother. And as the listeners hang around to the end to hear a special offer, we love you and enjoy this episode of the podcast. Hey, Jeremy, how are you today, brother? My man, I'm doing phenomenal, bro. So glad to be here. Oh, man, we are glad to have you. As I already told the listeners, we met through Louise Bedford and Chris Tate in one continent and their Mm -hmm. expertise and your expertise, instead of being foes, you guys are friends and the audience is pumped to hear what you have to say about your life story, what you've struggled with, what you've overcome and achieved, and then tips for them to invest. We're getting, you know, into an uncertain future in America, political unrest, social unrest, all sorts of chaos. We need to be banking away, right? For those seven years of famine, potentially. So I am stoked that you're here to help us learn about money management, investing, and just purely inspiring us with your story. Thanks, brother, man. I'm I'm absolutely amped to be here. And yes, shout out to my girl, Luis, and my man, Chris. Love those two human beings so much. Big, big fans. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yep. At this time, though, let's hear your story, Jeremy. Where, you know, we know a little bit where you're at. Bring us back, yeah. seriously, your childhood. What were the yeah. formative years like? What what did yeah. what was your upbringing like so we know what framed you and brought you to today? Love it, man. And if anyone loves podcasts, I, I do have one called Broke to Woke. It, it does go into the whole like, you know, nine hour journey because it, it's a long one, man. But I'll definitely give you some high level notes because <laughs> I loved my childhood, dude. I had a great childhood. 
I was just really poor. <laughs> I think a lot of people or entrepreneurs probably can attest to that. You know, especially if you're a business owner, you most likely wanted to do something bigger for your family. But David, man, for me, one movie, a character changed everything for me. So the movie Forrest Gump, about 80% of the way through the film, Forrest is going to his mailbox, opens up his mailbox and starts reading a letter. And you know the, the shot over his shoulder kind of zooms in. And he says that Lieutenant Dan invested in a fruit company and they no longer had to worry about money anymore. Well, brother, that was like the most, I'd never heard that phrase in my whole life. We don't have to worry about money anymore. Like, I didn't know what that meant, <laughs> you know, just growing up as poor as I was, I was happy, just, you know, poor. And I've heard a lot of my family members and my mom and dad, brothers and sisters, everyone talk about money and stress about money and bills and just how, how much better life would be with less stress about money. And also at that part in the film, Forrest is building churches and schools and hospitals and actually gives Bubba's mom half the shares, you know, half the money. And so she goes out of the kitchen and has someone, you know, helping her. And that's kind of like the story. And there's just so much like giving man and generosity and, and helping. I was just enamored by that massively. That was a huge, huge moment for me. And I still love that movie. It's my favorite movie, obviously. So I asked my yeah, dad, I can see why it changed your life. That's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, bro. <laughs> Absolutely. So I asked my dad, I'm like, what is investing and what's the fruit company? So he told me a little bit about the stock market and told me about Apple or right, Apple computers. And uh, I, I understood it immediately. I get, I did, you know, his, his description was pretty much, you know, son, Apple makes computers. People are going to buy computers. And if more people buy more computers, then Apple will make more money. And if a company makes more money, their stock normally will go up. I was like, yeah, cool. Got it. Like that makes sense. And I, I begged him, man. I was like, you need to do this. You need to buy shares of Apple. And he said what many fathers or parents do, you know, son, money doesn't just grow on trees. We can't just go and invest directly into Apple. You know, it doesn't work that way. This is a movie. I was like, dad, Forrest Gump is dumb. You're the smartest guy I know in the world. Let's make this happen. I begged him and begged him. He eventually said, listen, if you bring me some money, I'll match it dollar for dollar. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's make it happen. Nice. Yeah. So I'm six, man. This is 1994. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any resources. I didn't have anything. I'm six years old. I barely had a shirt. So I went and walked up and down the road and went into like, you know, neighbor's fields or whatever, and just randomly started picking blackberries and selling those blackberries door to door for like a dollar a bag, you know, and my, man, my close rate was high <laughs> because I'm six, no shoes, no shirt, jean shorts, you know, and I'm selling blackberries, a decent amount of blackberries for like 85% under market rate anyway, you know, yeah, like, and you right. You're so yeah, cute. Like, uh, You're uh, so cute. They're buying it from you, even though you took them out of their backyard, right? <laughs> yeah. I, don't tell them that. But yes, I mean, more or less, it was like they're, they're blackberries. And so I, I had a really high closing rate. And I had, you know, sweet old ladies would, oh, baby boy, you know, they just give me $10 or whatever. And so I made 1300 bucks in the summer of 1994 selling blackberries. And my dad, true to his word, ended up matching it. Had to borrow the money from my uncle, come to find out. But so we bought $2,600 worth of Apple 
1994 when I was six. And then six years later, you know, we sold those shares and he gave me $12,000 as a 12 year old. Nice. And dude, I was hooked. That was it for me. I was like, yep, this is all I want to do my whole life. Uh, I just want to invest and, and help people figure this stuff out. Now, granted, you know, those shares right now be worth like 16 million. And the ironic part is, you know, I would not have had to worry about money anymore. So it was really, really wild how that all kind of came full circle. I mean, I am presently 100% financially free, but it was a little bit of a struggle in the early 20s. But if I had honestly just bought them, left them alone and did nothing, it would be just as easy uh, as that. It wouldn't have been anything else more requirement than just buying 2600 bucks worth of Apple, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. And just so the people listening, we have a community from all over the world mm-hmm. and investment may be similar, but slight differences, but mostly similar all over the world. Yeah. And if you're listening now, what Jeremy's talking about is I don't know a trader that's successful that doesn't have regrets. Everybody's like, I wish I held longer. I wish I sold faster. So if you've always put yourself down and beat yourself up over, oh man, I make these mistakes. Even experts like Jeremy, you know, it's always hindsight's 2020. So real quick, as a side note, Jeremy, what do you have to say to the investor who's discouraged, who thinks they've made mistakes and nobody else has? Absolutely. Literally, that is called life. So welcome to the party. You know, there's a lot of people that use the term life is short. Well, I, I disagree. I think life is the longest thing you'll consciously ever experience. And you get to determine and use the, and pick the right words for describing life is and then insert, right? Life is an adventure. Life is love. Life is abundant or life is short. But regardless of what terminology you, you use for life, I can tell you this, you will have things or you didn't do perfectly because that is generally impossible. And for an investing standpoint, even me today, I remind clients and and myself on a daily basis, I repeat to myself, you're never going to buy at the exact bottom ever, like ever. It'll always go a little bit lower after you bought it. And when you sell it, you will never sell the exact high. It'll always go a little bit higher after you sell it. Always, forever. You'll never get out the exact high. It's just, it just won't happen. So when you, uh, when you approach certain certainties like that in life, it can help calm down your fear of missing out or your anxiety or your issues that you have attached to being right or being wrong. Yeah, I think that's incredible advice. And just I just want to give this a side note because people I don't want people this is a great episode and like all our episodes, they just keep building. You're gonna get more and more wisdom yeah. from Jeremy and tips. And I don't want you shut off be like, oh he can do it. I can't. No, he's gifted from God, but so are you. So we all got to find our strengths, but don't give up because of discouragement and failures. I know real quick, funny story. And I'm sure you probably have one, but I have a good friend and he was actually on the podcast in the early days, Dominic Tascarella, and he's a cryptocurrency trader. Mm -hmm. And whenever we're going to hang out, you know, he's like, Oh, I got to take a shower and come over. So I'm like, dude, better be careful. Cause one time he took a shower and lost $37,000 in like three (laughs) minutes. So he like, he's like, Oh, I want to sell this. He took a shower, comes out, he lost 37 grand in three minutes. And he's like, damn it. You know, you're just amazing. Yeah. But everybody does stuff like that. So, okay. So now you see Forrest Gump, you, your dad gives you a great and clear example of what trading is. You work your butt off as a six-year-old. Yep. Buy stock with your dad. He gives you 12 grand at 12. Take us from there. Yeah, man. So I asked, I asked my dad, what do we do with the money now? 
And he, he says, son, you're never going to make an investment or a trade like that again in your lifetime. Like this, you know, congratulations. You got lucky. Well done. We need to take this money and put it into something safe. So again, you know, I'm 12 and me, me and my dad don't know much, but at some point, three or four or five years later from there, he actually does tell me and gives me great advice where he says, you need to study money. That's what you need to do. Cause I asked him, I was like, what should I do with my life, dad? You know, age 16, 17, what should I do in my life? What would, what would you suggest I do? And that was his words, man. That was his advice. Study money, which I've actually never heard many people ever say that out loud. I didn't even know what it meant at the time. I was like, study money. How does someone do that? So I, again, I kind of thought that was like the stock market. If you study the stock market, you'll kind of understand those concepts. So at age 12, 13 ish, man, we buy like $12,000 worth of II and IE bonds. So for my international people out there, you can get government bonds in the US. You can, at the time, you could just go to a bank and just buy them. And if you bought like a $100 bond, it would cost 50 bucks. And in 34 years, it would be worth that amount of money, right? Whatever you paid on the front of the bond for. Yeah. And they used to be huge gifts. Like I remember my grandparents and parents used to give it to the kids for their birthday and say, don't touch these, hang on to these. They'll be worth money soon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But that's a very funny phrase. They'll be worth money soon. Yeah. You know, when I was 18, I moved out of my house. And like the day I turned 18, David, I was signing a lease to an apartment and I was working on getting a job and all that kind of good stuff. And so I was like, you know, man, I would love some house, some furnishings for my house. I wonder how much money I got in those bonds. True story. Like I go to the bonds, cash them in, all that good stuff. $12,134. So, you know, uh, what's that? 12 to 18, six years, they get $124 in interest. And so I, ended, I long story short, I end up spending 90% of that money on like couches, TVs, surround sound, stereo system, all the things that an 18 year old kid wants that never really had anything when they grew up. But because I'm thinking I want friends to come over so I can impress them, entertain them and all that good stuff. So I spent a bunch of money on really frivolous and immature and stupid things, but you know, you're 18. So what are you going to do? And I did take a little bit of money, like $1,000, and I opened up a Scott Trade account. And with the Scott Trade account, I started also investing. So this was like 2007-ish, 2008-ish. And I tried to uh, diversify my portfolio with $1,000. So I, I bought like one share of ExxonMobil, one share of CBS, one share of Fox, I think. And then you know, $400 worth of a penny stock. And that was pretty much it. That was my diversification at the time. Yeah. And that's tough because you're learning and you know, there's something there, but you don't know how to do it. I remember, uh, remember when Google came out late nineties, early 2000, I remember working at gateway and my buddies like, show me Google. I'm like, what's Google. And I thought, man, I wish I had money. I'd invest, see what happens. And now I just want to punch myself in the face, right? Oh, oh, dude, <laughs> as hard as you can, right? Right right in the nose. Repeatedly, yeah. So you're buying these one-offs and you're buying stocks you've heard of. Did you buy any like penny stocks? Like, did you put any risk out there and just yeah. go crazy? What did you do with that? Yeah, the penny, I did bought like 400 bucks worth of a penny stock. The penny stock I actually bought, if I remember correctly, was 
I got a mailer in the, well, in the mail, obviously a physical mailer. Do you know the movie Rudy? Oh, great film. Great, yeah, great film. film. Great film. So the movie Rudy, there was a, obviously it was, I'm sure 100% fake, but there was a mailer that came out. that was like, Rudy's coming out with a new sports drink. It's better than Gatorade. And I was like, these blah, 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 and all these things. And Pepsi is going to buy it one day. And so I was like, cool. I like the movie Rudy. I'll buy 400 bucks worth of, obviously, right? Just wash that down the toilet. So yeah, man, I, I was buying socks that I knew and I kind of understood that piece, but I literally didn't know anything about it. Just super mysterious to me. And I never had a fear of losing money. That was one of the things that there's a pro and a con to that massively. Well, even to this day, I don't really have that fear. I have other fears, but the losing the money has never been a fear of mine because I've been poorer than probably 99.9% of anyone listening to this right now. There, there's a term dirt poor. And that term comes from like having dirt floors and people will be able to see how poor you were because all of your clothes and your shoes and everything would have dirt on them. They'd know you're dirt poor. That's how poor I was, man. I was dirt poor. And I didn't even know what AC was until I was like 12. So I had no issues of losing money. So I didn't care. I was like, whatever. I've been poor. I can be poor again. So the, the investing part, like I was trying to learn it and I ended up going to University of Florida, which is in Gainesville, Florida, go Gators. And I was <laughs> studying finance, trying to get a finance degree, like a smart person to understand the stock market. Because again, my dad would tell, you know, tell me, understand money, go study money. So studying money, got it, go finance degree. And they didn't teach me anything that I wanted to know about money or the psychology of money or stocks or trading or active trading, really even investing. I didn't learn that much about it. I learned a lot about coupon yield rates and bonds and mortgage amortizations and managerial accounting and a lot of accounting classes. And I was like, I don't want to do accounting. Now, all this stuff you'll probably never use or don't want to use. Correct. Yeah. Mostly stuff I don't want to use. And I ended up, I did graduate. I switched my degree to business management, which is, you know, whatever that is. Got that degree and just started self trying to self-study until I'll get you to the part of the store where I'm 20. So I graduated college when I was 20. Now, did you start early or did you just accelerate and blow through it? I accelerated and blow through, blew through it. Yeah. I, I worked full time and went to school full time at the age of 18. And I was putting in probably 120 hour weeks. So like 60 hours of work and 60 hours of school uh, per week. So I was doing 20 credit hours. I was just hitting it hard, man. Like I've always been one of those, you're not going to outwork me type of people. Like some people can, but those people are generally like Navy SEALs or Marines or someone like you got to be an upper echelon person to outwork me. And I'll, I've always been that way. And uh, at that yeah. moment in time, going through college, I, I worked myself through school, spending 120 hours a week. And I sat down at the age of 20 in front of my boss at the time. I worked at an insurance company. And I was 20 years old and he was about to give me a peer review, you know, what, what, like the boss to employee. And I could see on his screen, he had stock market stuff. And I told him, Rob, bro, give me whatever score you want as an employee. Can you please tell me what's on your screen? And what did he say at that point? <laughs> yeah, he was, he said, you want to learn about the stock market? And I was like, dude, you have no idea. Like, that's all I want to know. Like, that's it. He was like, yeah, sure. And so he told me about the stock market. He started explaining it to me. And he, ta he told me about a strategy called covered calls. 
And I understood that concept immediately. It's the concept of where you buy a stock, let's say you buy a stock at 100 and you rent it out at 110. So that's a 10% return. And in order to rent out your stock at 110, and yes, if you're listening to this, most of you I'm sure probably know this, but for those two or three people who are listening who might not, you can rent out your stocks. Just like if you have two homes, you live in one house, you're going to rent out the other one, you can rent out your shares and make an extra percentage for doing so. So you rent out a stock, you can get a buy at 100, rent out stock at 110, you're going to get paid an extra 1% to do that. So not only do you make your 10% return if it goes up to 110, but you also make that extra, that extra 1% for renting out your stock. Understood that concept immediately, man. We started doing some math. He wrote down a bunch of examples for me. And bro, ever since then, I've been on an absolute tear, just trying to learn every single thing. He gave me some direction, some of his mentors, books, webinars, in-person events, seminars, coaching sessions, anything and everything. I was there. I was doing it. I was in it. Real quick, Jeremy. Yeah. You're awesome. And you're giving so much. I have like 15 notes already. Okay. <laughs> when you rent a stock to the yep. listeners who aren't familiar with this, yep. it's like renting a home. Great. Yeah business, great profit, but there's additional risk. That's why they're giving you additional money. So explain the additional risk real quick before people jump in wholeheartedly without understanding. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. So what I'll ask you this question, David, what's the risk of of renting your house? Somebody doesn't pay, somebody vandalizes. Yeah. Yeah. Usually the vandalization is probably the biggest one. Like the the not paying. Absolutely. Like that's, that's certainly a piece, but with the stock market component, you're always going to get paid. So that part's irrelevant. That'll, I know it sounds weird and like sounds like it's made up, but you'll always get the rent money. The risk of renting out your stock is that the stock goes down. That's the risk. That, that's the only risk, actually. And in that situation, if you are totally comfortable of owning that share, owning those companies long term, then it's all right if it goes down. If it has some fluctuations, you're not going to stress out about it, hopefully, because it is simply a what's called a hedge, meaning it it gives you income while the stock is going down or sideways or up a little bit. Another quote unquote risk, David, that a lot of people will attribute to this particular strategy is you do cap your upside. So as I mentioned, if I buy a stock at 100 and I rent it out at 110, what if it goes to 150, right? Well, you have to sell it at 110. So you're going to cap your upside, but I don't generally see that as a massive risk. I see that as like a just a future possibility for sure, but not a giant mathematical risk because generally I like guaranteed wins rather than potential possible wins. Oh yeah. And I agree with you completely. Yeah. You're the expert. I wasn't questioning your knowledge. Oh dude, you should. I, you just, should. Want, you should I just want anyone listening. If they're getting Absolutely. excited and pumped, Woo. they're going to want to jump right online and start investing. I want them just to know both sides of the coin. So they know what they're getting into. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. Every single thing I say, my, my friends question all of it. And because that, that's the only way to truly, truly learn something is ask a million questions. The quality of your questions determines the quality of your life. And that's why David is so successful is because he's not afraid to ask questions. He's not afraid to look dumb or sound or sound like he doesn't know. It's, it's perfectly reasonable for any one of us to ask any questions immediately when we have them, because that's how we're going to get that, that knowledge, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I want to go back to, because people listening, some people listening are like, no way he worked 120 hours. And other people are like, wow, 
I can't do that. And I kind of, it's funny. We have a lot of parallels from you sharing your story with poverty and with great yeah. motivation and like, let's just get things done. Not a lot of, you know, not a lot of water cooler time. It's just focused and do it. Right. Yeah, man. Hard at it. I mean, yeah, your if, mindset. Talk about your mindset. Do you think it was something you were born with? Was it the determination not to be poor? Was it just something you triggered you? You know, something was triggered inside of you. How did you have that mindset to be mm. killing it at school, killing it at work, killing it at moving forward? And you were probably thriving during that time when that's what most people don't understand. You weren't dragging i'm sure there's times you're tired but you're, oh, yeah. you're just amped and ready to go so talk about that what made you that way or was it a combination of everything man i appreciate you asking dude i'll start off with two things so unless my math is off there's 168 hours in a week actually seven times 24 168 hours so if you work 120 you still have 48 hours so that's seven hours of sleep a night. I mean, you, you know, so it, it's seven hours of sleep and, and you still get an extra hour. <laughs> so there is plenty of time out there. Yeah, I was young, granted. And yes, you do have to grind. But one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite excuses. Man, like I love it. It's one of my absolute number one top, top favorite excuse that I can get from anyone is I don't have the time. It's like, no, you do. You have the time. Make it a priority get it done. It's, it's there. It's available. But the question that you proposed is how and why I'm this way at, at least at the time and still am, but I, I honestly don't know. I'm going to have to go back to, and you're probably your favorite answer. This is how it was created, man. I don't know any other way. I've always been this way ever since like my first primary memory, my initial like consciousness moment into this world to every other waking hour that I can realize. And there was a long time where I quelched it, where I, where I poured alcohol over that so that I wouldn't be as great and I wouldn't shine as bright so that I could really be normal because so much of my life, man, I've been told, dude, you're weird. You're strange. You're odd. You're not normal. And you know, there, there's times in me where that's a good thing, times where it's a bad thing, but i heard it so often. I was like, you know what? Let me be normal. Let me do what other normal people do. And absolutely, man, mid twenties, late twenties was a little bit of a struggle. A lot of it because I did just let me, let me dim my light so that I can be around other people. And so that no one has to notice and I can just, you know, be like everyone else, drink a lot, party a lot, spend a lot, don't invest a lot, just kind of be. And uh, there's obviously a time and a place for relaxation but I think there's also a time and a place for acceleration. And my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes, I believe it's Ernest Hemingway says, there's a time, there's a, one second, moderation has something to do with moderation. It just slipped my mind. Everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. I'm a big fan of that quote. Yeah. And that's why it talks about all over the Bible. It talks about balance, you know, false yep. balance is abomination to the Lord, but let's do a quick exercise. Cause this whole mm -hmm. podcast, you're a remarkable guy. And oh, thanks, man. the whole podcast is about learning from you. And then how can we help you? And for us as listeners in our great community, all over the world, try to slow your mind down. Cause some things come so naturally to you 
that it's hard to even see like why oh it just does it you know what i mean yeah but okay think back to a time when you were in that hyper productive period 18 to 20 yep. and when you were tired and when you were ready to quit what were the thoughts that went through your head that motivated you to keep going because those are probably so ingrained in you that it's like common you might not even think it's special but that's probably the thought that's the catalyst that god used that we can all glean from so can you think back mm. to a time you were just exhausted but you're like nope i gotta dig deep suck it up and get this done absolutely man and i will commend you as well for your question asking abilities i mean that is obviously a strong suit of yours and that's why you have a podcast and that's why you're internationally and world renowned world renowned is because you're so skilled at this so obviously thank you as well for your time and for your energy for me dude it came down to another quote that i heard long time ago and it's from aristotle i believe that in this world, we die twice. The first time when we die and the second time when no one speaks your name. And I've always been deep in my heart excited about creating a legacy where my family was known for something. And having my last name, Newsom, be able to have an echo throughout some period of time where people know that not only I was here, but my family was here and my dad and my mom and my brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and children, wife, all the, all the people that we, that we did something for this planet that was remarkable and inspiring and motivating and fantastic. And that's what drove me, man. That's, those are the moments, the question that I would ask myself, how can I leave a legacy on this earth that will last forever? And that, that's, a, that's a question. Talk about a powerful question. Like that's when I'll go, well, okay, should I go out and party or should I not? <laughs> and it was in those moments where I just didn't want to not be known. I didn't want to not be remembered because throughout all of this, man, I actually was also battling the challenge that I was in a cult. I was born and raised in a Christian cult, a Jehovah's Witnesses. And oh, so this yeah. Cult very yep. much. Yes, sir. Yep. So this whole time I was also being quelched by their beliefs and by their religion and by the elders and the governing body and all the rules that they have that tell me what I can and cannot do from not the Bible's rules, but from their rules. Right. And their rules are man's rules and their, their rules are their ideals and their beliefs. And I'm not saying they're horrible people at all. I'm just saying that it is a cult. And Having those, having those barriers and those hurdles, everyone has barriers and hurdles that are implanted in your brain by someone else. They're not yours. They might be your parents. They might be your grandparents. They might be a teacher, a doctor, a, someone that you interacted with, someone when you were young. And it could have been maliciously or on accident, but we all have them. And they can be the tiniest, tiniest barrier that you've never really explored before. But it's actually physically like in your mind, a wall. Like money doesn't grow on trees. Your dad learned that. He said it to you. And that just sticks you in a hole. Bro. It, yes. Even though you don't think it. Like most people will go, that's irrelevant. Like how, how does me thinking that money doesn't grow on trees put me in a hole? It doesn't make any sense. Like, well, if you explore it, it does. Like if you start exploring your tiny, tiny, tiny beliefs about about money, whatever those beliefs might be, 
you'll start to realize that they'll just remove certain obstacles and hurdles that are currently challenging you or facing you. Yes, 100%. And thank you for bringing up the Jehovah Witness. And you don't have to answer this, but I'm going to go deep for a second. And it's going to be something you have to choose how transparent you want to be. (laughs) That's fine. I had a friend that we were friends since like kindergarten. And he, his family was Jehovah Witness. And again, like you said, there's so many religions in the world. Mm -hmm. And the people that follow these religions are most of the time just great people seeking God. Yep. But I believe in this podcast as worldview, there's one God and by faith you're saved and it's just trusting him. And I believe he gave us the Bible to be able to learn and to find out who he is. Men and religions can pervert that to their will. But I remember specifically with the Jehovah witness, they had the elect system and they could judge you and say, if you're elect or if you're not elect. And my buddy, Matt, he was told you're not the elect. And, you know, you're damned. And basically he was depressed. He became an alcoholic, a drug addict, tried to commit suicide. It Mm. really jacked his head up Mm. for you. Do you think that system somehow between the poverty and the system of the Jehovah witness where you have to be the elect, do you think that's what drove you to say, I want to be recognized. I want to have a legacy. I want to be known. Do you think that had something to do with it? I will say this. I've never been asked that question. And I hope me and you just became best friends because that is a powerful question, dude. I would have to say yes. I would have to say yes. I don't know why or any how have any other reason why it could not be that. Or at least have that that's an addition towards that goal and that drive because yes i was also told i was not part of the elect which is actually i think the term is anointed um, and forgive me i'm sorry it was so oh, dude, oh yeah that's fine yeah you're i just not remember to know that. i just remember <laughs> I, I love matt and even in high school we worked together yeah. at a restaurant and i just look at him like dude that's just not true and he yeah. just couldn't shake those demons like yeah just it's hard man shake, being beat up even by his own parents told you're yeah. not worthy Yep. Yeah. You're not supposed to know that. Trust me. That's, <laughs> that's perfectly fine. But yeah, it, it is, it is an interesting, very, very interesting approach and a place to be when you're told that, yeah, you know, God doesn't love you that much, you know, like you're, you're a cool person, but like, you're not that special. And they, yeah, there's, there are on the other side of the, of that particular coin, like there is still, reasons and rationales why witnesses do what they do because you can still live on earth in a paradise you know that's there that's your your goal so to speak as a normal person is you get to live on earth forever you know in a perfect body as on a paradise earth but you don't go to heaven yeah and again that's a very very great phenomenal question and i'd have to say yes man i don't i think i'd be crazy not to because that aspect of me and just being able to see the love that Forrest Gump provided in that, in that movie, because when it was happening, it was like Gump hospital and Gump, you know, church and Gump education. It was like his last name was there. And I think all of that started kind of like reworking my brain. I was like, I would love to not only be known, but also provide a level of love that is massive and transparent and awe inspiring because 
I think everyone of your listeners would agree to this, but there's a scripture in the Bible that says God is love. And so when you're talking about the things that you want to do and the actions that you want to create on this planet, if you do it from a standpoint of love, then you have to be in such an uh, in such a awe-inspiring and incredible location that your name will not be forgotten. Yeah, I think that's well said, man. Thank you for being so just open and transparent. Yeah, though, dude. Man. Yeah, man, of course. I'm I'm an open book and yeah. I, I love that, man, that, that question is going to rock me for a few weeks. So. <laughs> well, hopefully it helps heal. Sometimes <laughs> if you're listening, when we search our souls in our history, it always hurts and we want to run away. And I'm going to, you got to bring us back from when you're 20 to like you mentioned 28 and you started trying to normalize yourself and you mentioned some alcohol, but whenever we try to make ourselves better, you know, it always gets worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. And so with that question, I hope I didn't hurt you in any way, but I know the outcome outcome will always be better. Right. Because when we understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, the beautiful part is I've, I have spent a lot of hours, a lot of time, a lot of money in healing over the last four years and being, I mean, I'm in a place now where I love the opening of the doors, the mental doors, the mind doors, because I have absolutely created so many barriers in there that I'm still working through and I'll be working through for a while, but being able to go in and access them and not have fear or anxiety or panic, man, it's, it's an honor to even, to even be able to do that. So thank you for asking that. It's awesome. Oh man, it's a pleasure. And I'm sure our listeners are just loving and healing themselves by listening. So, so talk us, you, you go on this hyper acceleration program and Hey, I do, I don't know why I keep thinking this. I'm just going to mention it. If you're listening right now, this isn't Jeremy and I are talking to each other and and we're all together as just friends in a room. But uh, if you're listening, you know, there's in America, at least there's this constant, information that you must get eight to 10 hours sleep a night. And that's like necessary for the human body. And I'm just going to tell you right now, that's a bunch of bunk because everybody's different. Yes, we need sleep. Yes, we need rest hundred percent. But there's some people like myself, I function best at five to six hours sleep a night. If I get less, I'm a zombie. If I get more, I'm a zombie. I bet Jeremy, just from listening to you, you're probably the same way. I know friends who are high producing they need 10 hours sleep a night. So all I'm saying is find out how God made you, mm-hmm. not how like, you know, the National Institute of Garbage told you you should be. <laughs> not everybody's the same, right? Yeah. So that, I don't yeah. know why I'm saying that, but I, somebody out there needs it. So take it and run with it. Don't feel guilty if you sleep more or less. Just do No, it. don't. Don't, because yeah. you, can, you can structure your life around that. And health is your best wealth anyway. So, yep. you know, keep in mind I was 20, but also keep in mind that, not only, not only that, but what I did, it was, I just played around with the norms of society in all aspects of my life, man, all aspects of my life. I played around with what's normal and what's, what should be and what should not be. I even, I even experimented for three years with a two hour sleep system where I did three, three, two hour sleep systems. Oh, so like the, uh, mid- yeah. Who was it? Da Vinci or? Was it Leonardo da Vinci that did that? Uh, Michelangelo? I, think, I think it was a da Vinci. Yeah, I think it was da Vinci. It was him or Michelangelo. But yeah, it was. So I slept from midnight to 2 a.m., um, from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., and from 1 to 3 p.m. And that was my routine for three years. And that was good for me, man. Like that was, that worked actually quite well. So again, you don't, you can or cannot. It's up to you. You don't have to, obviously. But 
as of now, I've done a lot of studying on, on myself, a lot of introspection. And the way I currently live is I do have an alarm set just in case, but 99% of the time I wake up before an alarm, I go to sleep when I'm tired, whenever that is throughout the day. It doesn't matter if it's noon or 6 p.m. or 1.30 in the morning. I go to sleep when I'm sleepy and I wake up when I'm, ti- when I'm, when I'm not tired anymore. And that's it. Like if it's a 10 hour session, it's a 10 hour session. And again, I'll have an alarm set just in case so that I don't sleep from like, you know, midnight to noon, but I haven't had to in the last 10 years. I normally go to sleep, man, like 11 PM and wake up at like 6 AM. That's like, that's a good seven hours. Yeah. And, and that's awesome. So I just, a little caveat, another rabbit trail, but just if you're listening yeah. out there and you're always beating yourself about sleep or some people, you know, I don't know what you, but like, I can be hyper productive from 10 to two at night. So oh, sometimes yeah, I'll sure. blow off during the day and I'll go do something relaxing, run errands because I know yes. I'm going to just kill it at night and I can make eight hours of work and four. So bingo. Yep. Bingo, whoever man. God made you to be, but now, okay, back to Jeremy. That's why you're here. <laughs> so Jeremy pick up, you hyper accelerate through school. You're 20 years old. We left off in the office where you saw the stocks on the screen. Take us yep. from there through your life. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rob, he teaches me about these covered calls and the strategy behind it, which again, it's not really a strategy. It's just how to do it technically, like what buttons to press. Ironically enough, man, I'm just a good button presser. <laughs> That's all I really do. And I, this was my research methodology. Ready? I sit down on my computer. And I Google which silver stocks to buy. That's why I typed into Google because I heard silver on the, on the, on the news. That was it. Like people are like silver's going up. So I type in with silver and again, silver, I think to an intrinsic standpoint, most people realize it's never going to be zero. Like it, it'll always have some kind of monetary value. So it'll never be worthless. So I go in, type in which silver stocks to buy. The first company that comes up was first majestic silver, ticker symbol AG. It's still around today. And I had at the time about $9,000 in my 401k because I had been working at nationwide at that time for like two and a half years or so. And I've been contributing my 401k and had a lot of overtime because, again, I was working 60 hours a week at work. So that's 20 hours of overtime. So I'd have tons of money in my 401k. I took 1,000 shares worth of AG. So it was $9 per share at the time. And right now it's like 20. So it hasn't really moved that much. But I bought it at nine and I did a $12.50 covered call and ended up selling it, getting called away uh, about a month later. And made about $3,000 on that trade. Now, here's a problem with that, dude. That $3,000 trade that I made in about a month was more than I made at work. Yeah, that's tough to swallow, right? Ooh, dude, that was the game changer for me. That was it. That was the moment, another moment, the life-changing, like, oh my gosh, to see that P&L, right? That, those green numbers, right there in my 401k, realized, closed. I was like, holy smokes. Because again, man, no one had told me directly, hey, Jeremy, you as a person have the capability of making more money trading stocks than working. I knew some people could, and I knew some people could do it, but I also didn't know it could happen in less than a month. And I also didn't know that it would be somewhat easy to an extent. 
because it realistically is, it's just math. It's second grade math, a lot of second grade math over and over and over. So yeah, dude, like that was, that was the huge moment for me was realizing that not only can it be done, but I can actually do it. And now I semi knew how, and then I just started doing it a lot. All right. So when you say a lot, how long was it from that moment to when you're full-time trading? So that's when I was like 20 and a half. And from that moment, it took me four years because 20 to 24, I was what people refer to as a moron. <laughs> so I took my account from like uh, $9,000 in my 401k to probably like 24,000 in about two and a half months, three and a half months. So I started doing some pretty active trading and Anyway, I grew my account, told everyone on the entire planet, everyone in the office, and the people started to give me money. They started begging to give me money. And I asked my dad if I could trade his retirement account. And he said, yes. I had a few other people you know, offer to give me some money. And so long story short, yeah, man, I did. I took other people's money. I put it in my accounts. I was trading it. I was doing the thing. I was living the life. You remember the movie Dumb and Dumber, obviously, the, uh, the tuxedos that they wore at one point in the film? Yeah, um, the, the okay, light yeah. blue and the baby boy, like the baby orange crush. I ended up buying both of those tuxedos, wearing them to work, eating crab legs and like blackberries and like walking around the office, and like telling people like, why do you guys work? You're so dumb. <laughs> I was like, look how much money I'm making. I was being a braggadocious and you know, the market loves to humble you at some point. And so that was coming. And so I did actually make a lot of money. I made about $36,000, which for me was a lot of money in about three months trading. And then I started learning about options, like directional options, because at that time I had been making great returns, but I, I just wanted more. I was more excited about it. it. wasn't greed. It was just financial optimism. It was seeing what's, a, it was seeing what's a possible, what's achievable, what's, what's, what could happen. And I learned about options and like you mentioned early, early on, what's the risks? I didn't care about the risk. I didn't study the risk. I didn't take time to learn about the risk. All I learned was the upside. And I was like, here we go. And I started taking all the money that I had amassed between my dad, myself, and a bunch of other people, which is around a quarter million dollars at the age of 21. And I was buying options with it. And so I was having like $13,000 fluctuations daily like every day up and down, like mad wild swings. And then I ended up putting a lot of it on silver at the very, very top. Like I actually hold the unofficial Guinness World Book of Records for buying silver at its highest price of all time. Oh, so this nice. is 2011. Yeah, this is 2011. So maybe not the award you want to be in the Guinness <laughs> Book for, but you know, it, but it's an award. Yeah, not the award you would want. So uh, 10 years ago, I'm 22. It's, it's 2011. I buy silver at its highest price. It crashes. And long story short, man, I lose all the money. All of it. I lose every single dime because I, I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about risk. I don't, know, I don't know all of it. I don't know anything. And I don't know downside. I only know upside, all the stuff. And I did everything wrong. And now you're going to continue your story, but pause for one second. Yeah. Listeners, that's why I brought up the risk earlier. Bingo. Before you get into any investment, know both sides of the coin so you can make an informed decision because this is what we were talking about <laughs> earlier. And, you know, Warren Buffett, he's made yep. a few bucks in his life. He always says, I only invest in what I understand. 
So yeah, I'm not saying you have to do that, but I'm just saying that is a good rule of thumb. Warren Buffett, Jeremy, they've done quite well with what they understand. Yeah. Yeah, precisely, man. And dude, that was, oh gosh. I mean, I guess if you're going to be stupid, you know, 20, 21, 22 is the time to do it, but absolutely. Before you really went down in life, I went down in flames of glory, dude. Like I, I failed. And that was the first time ever I had failed publicly in front of tons of people and just miserably, miserably failed. And you so, gave, now your dad gave you his retirement and this was serious yeah. stuff. I mean, you must have felt horrible and they must have been angry. Yeah, it, that all, all those things are accurate. And it was, it was, yeah, it was rock. I was at rock bottom. Like it was, it was a, my 21st birthday wasn't awesome. And nor is my 22nd, nor is my 23rd. And so it was two or three years where then you talk about a, a perfect, perfect storm, right? You take an absolute obsessed workaholic who's now a failure and lost everything, lost an insurmountable amount of money. And, you know, to paint a little bit of a better story about myself, I did take some money out <laughs> and like, I, you know, I bought a house and I sent my dad on some really cool trips like to Istanbul and to Spain and bought him a bunch of things. So it wasn't like all gone, but you know, 99% of it. And I, just said, okay, how, how do I get it back? Because here's the thing. I made it once. I think I can do it again. And that's what I did uh, for the next two and a half, three years. I asked my primary question, how can I make that money back? And I worked harder than anyone on this planet for about two and a half years, understanding the stuff. And I spent all my money. I went into debt on all things all the things, credit card, cash advances. I withdrew from my 401k. I didn't have liquid money to my name. I was working as much as I could, still putting in valuable effort at work, mind you. Like I was still actually producing things for my company. I ended up working there for six years. But if I could find liquid money from any source, I would find it. And I got it. And I went out, and which is hilarious because you know it does show money does grow on trees. Like if you need the money, the money's there. <laughs> the money's there, man. Like you can go get it. And I went out and just got money from every source you can possibly think of, all the bad things, all the good things. I went and got it and traded and bought and seminars and classes and coaches and just on and on and on. And there was a period in time where for seven hours a day, seven, you know, every single day for seven hours a day, I would do what's called back trading, which is like going back in time and doing like a replay. So I could start to see the patterns and let the patterns like melt into my brain and I got a program called Trade Navigator, which is actually still around. So shout outs to them. I don't have an affiliation with them at all, but Trade Navigator, they had a product that you could purchase where you could go back test any company that you want. So I was like, well, let me just start with the Dow Jones. So I went back to the inception of the Dow Jones, which is like 1890. And I just started trading day by day, like just go like clicking a button and just seeing it. And you're able to do it in, you know, theoretical real time. So I could kind of see what happened during the Great Depression, during World War One, World War II, Cold War, Vietnam, North, you know, all, all the things. And I was able to see the market sentiments and to learn I did this religiously. With everything, with every company, no one could stop me. Like I didn't go to parties. I didn't have friends. I didn't talk to anybody. I barely ate, man. And I'm not saying it was healthy, but I'm saying I did what I had to do. And by the age of 24, I kind of figured a lot of it out. I understood it. I had an opportunity to go make some money at a sales organization. 
I left my company, Nationwide Insurance, after working there for six years, and I moved up to where I currently live, which is Nashville, Tennessee. Not the same house, just the same city. Nashville, Tennessee, move up 2012. I moved up to Nashville, Tennessee, so almost 10 years ago. And that's where I still live now. And that's where I started spending tons of time. That's where I started trading full-time and kind of getting an idea on it and just taking sales jobs, you know, nothing too intense, nothing too crazy, but trading actively and living like a soiled moldy rat, <laughs> you know, PB and J's and ramen noodles and nothing special or exciting or entertaining and just saving up as much money as I can, stashing up as much money as I can and try and do my best to repay my dad and the other people that gave me their money. That's awesome, brother. Now, you're working now, you're doing sales job, you're trying to save up and repay the money. Bring us from that point to today. So that point to today, 2014, I launched a company called Real Life Trading, which is uh, my education company for the stock market. And at that point in time in 2014, I had been doing this since about 2008, give or take. So six years, I had been understanding about the market. And the one thing that I did realize I'm slightly gifted at is making really complex things somewhat simple and also being vulnerable and transparent and sharing everyone, all of my mistakes, telling all the people, all the bad things I had done and how to avoid it. And I started going out there on, the reason I launched the company is because I went out on Facebook and LinkedIn and uh, Twitter and all these websites and realizing that so many people had a lot of questions about the stock market and I would help them just for free. I'd be like, Hey, here you go. And I had so many people would ask me, man, do you have a website I could get a hold of? Do you have an email? Like, how can I get, a, I have other questions. How can I blah, blah, blah. So I started putting out videos on YouTube and started getting a lot of views. And I realized that this was, there was a demand for this. And this had, there's so much that led up to this point in my life, David, just like I, I had, I had done comedy at one point. I had had a radio show at one point. There were so many things I did because I like using my voice. I like using my talent, my skills. I like being the center of attention. That's just random fact about me. And I love all those things. So I was like, how can I use that for good, for, to be a force for good? How can I use my skills and also the things I know about myself to put myself in a position where I can truly, truly help other human beings? And that is kind of what led me to the, the idea that I want to create a business. And then all of the tens of thousands of dollars, I mean, $60,000, $70,000 I had spent over that course of time learning about stocks from other people who did an awful job and going through boring seminar after boring seminar after tear fest, you know, just bored out of my mind and thinking to myself, I can do this a little bit better. And yeah, I created a company called Real Life Trading because I felt like so many people were fake. I felt like so many gurus and websites and courses didn't explain the life component of trading, meaning how to use it to pay off debt, how to use it to create cash flow, how to use it to pay for your kid's college or uh, braces or buy a new car or finance things or pay off your house or whatever, more or less create financial freedom. But how can you do that slow, steady, methodical, you know, using the stock market and other avenues of cash flow creation. And I've been pouring the last seven years 
into that, you know, for probably about 15 hours a day. All right. Well, let's do this then. You've created this organization. Your purpose is to help people. We got listeners all over the place. Some have never invested. They're like, I have no idea. Some people are like, man, I invested. I got burned. I'm not doing that again. And some people are like, I did all right, but you know, I basically broke even or I made a little money and then the government took the rest in taxes. So for all those people, if they're like, I want to give this another shot, what would be their first couple steps? And then they can, you know, they can contact you for the first steps for more steps. But if they were thinking about starting, all right, let's, let's put our toe in the water again. Yeah. What, what, what would you recommend? What's a couple of the steps for them to take? I love the toe in the water, man. Um, put pinky toe in the water. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't do what I did. Number one, don't take your, your parents' money and start trading it with no knowledge. That, that's step number one. <laughs> step number two, invest in what you know, love, and currently use. So if we go back to me in 1994, Apple, right? We didn't have an Apple computer, but my dad understood what Apple is. I am sure, even though you do have an international world-renowned podcast, that you have We're listeners. getting there. We're getting there. I hear you, baby. But you, you have listeners that, that use Netflix, right? And Netflix is a very popular company. It's been around forever. And Netflix has gone... It was $467 a share. And this is going to sound crazy, but in, in the last year, it went from $467. Let's just make even even number. $460 a share to $560 a share. Back down to $460. Back up to $560. Back down to $460. Back up to $560. Back down to $460. Back up to $560. Five times. Five times in the last year and a half. Now, everyone here knows Netflix. Everyone here uses Netflix. So having the ability to go, okay, cool. I have Netflix. I'm going to buy five shares worth of Netflix and spend, you know, invest $2,000. And if it goes up to 560, I'll sell it. And then I'll rebuy it later as a a possibility. Or just using products that you use, man. Let's go look at Yeti, right? A lot of people probably have heard of the Yeti cup, right? Where, you know, it holds ice and water, (laughs) more or less, essentially. It keeps your water cold. Yeti has gone from $32 a share a year ago to $75 a share right now. And most people here probably have, I don't know, $300 worth of Yeti stuff in their house, right? 300 bucks worth like cups and coolers and and hats. I don't know. That's like three cups and a t-shirt. Yeah, bro, exactly. <laughs> Three cups and a t-shirt. So if you had taken that money and also bought shares of Yeti, you'd still have your Yeti cups and your three cups and a t-shirt, but you would now have 900 more dollars because the, the, the investment almost more or less tripled in value. And that's, I mean, think about that. Like Peloton, right? Peloton came out on the stock market. If you use Peloton, it's up 700%. Me and David were talking about this right before the webinar started and in our, our interview and in our podcast, but Wayfair, a lot of people have spent their stimulus checks or, or just their checks from where, or their savings or whatever. They use their money to refurbish their home offices or their living rooms because they're at, they're at home more. So a company like Wayfair is up over 800% in the last year. Shopify is up 900% because of e-commerce going through the window, right? There's so many opportunities 
And they're everywhere around us, man. So the answer to your real question is, how do people get started? Very simple. Be Jeremy when I'm six. Don't know anything. That's cool. Use money that you have. That It's okay if you lose it. And buy something that you know, use, and love. Yeah, that's great advice. And don't skip on that one statement. Don't invest money you yep. can't afford to lose. Yep. Precisely. Do not, when Bitcoin, the, the not this Bitcoin surge, but the last Bitcoin surge, I remember watching people literally mortgage their house to take out funds to invest in Bitcoin. And yes, the few that bought and sold at the right time did great but other people are still paying off that debt right now. So you got to be right. real careful. So yeah, man, well, that's awesome, Jeremy. So now you launch Real Life Trading. Mm-hmm. First off, I don't want to miss, is there anything from your birth to Real Life <sighs> Trading launch? Is there anything we miss, significant wisdom you want to share with our audience or something personal? Anything that we've missed up to Real Life Trading's launch? Man, dude, a million things, bro. <laughs> and then anything that God specifically a, has in your heart to share right now. A million things. So I do cover a lot of it in the Broke to Woke podcast. The season two is actually right around the corner. But to answer your question, yeah, man, my dad died of colon cancer. Oh, my man, best, oh, dude, it was shitty. My my nephew, like the best friend in my life, the, the person I loved the most, the person I spent the most time with, he died in a freak boating accident a year and a half after my dad died. And and him and I had over a million dollars of stocks and businesses and, and things together that we didn't have uh, joint ownership of. It was all under his name. And, and there was just so much wildness that transpired. I have personally lost everything over four times. Just like the financial piece of my everything. And that whole, all of it comes back to kind of like that question that you asked now, that's just like exploding my mind of why did I keep going back and doing it again? And I'm like, yep, let's get punched in the face again is because maybe I just want to be remembered. Maybe I don't want to be that not the non-chosen one that is able to make it, that's able to be here. There was so much. And the wisdom, if I can impart any, would be find something that is so compelling and this is going to sound awful, but find something that's so compelling that you would literally drag your broken body over glass up for so that you can fulfill your creational purpose on this planet. Regardless of how your creation belief is, you are here. So when people say you're created, I mean, you can be created from your mother and father. That could be your extent of it. So high five, like that's cool. But you are you are created somehow, some way, some some being right? The being could be your mom and dad. That's why my name is actually spelled with two R's. My dad's name was Jerry and my mom's name is Juliet. So it was Jerry and me. My mom was the me. So Jeremy, that's why my name has two R's in it. And that's, I was actually wondering that when I was emailing you, because I'm dyslexic, I'm dyslexic and anything off or certain names really screw with my brain. And when I saw Jeremy, it was so hard to type it right for you. I hope I did you right. Dude, bro, you did, man. You did. You did amazing. Thank you. The, the, the but that is that is correct. The, the the piece of that aspect is have have a why that allows you to be pulled by your dreams rather than pushed by your problems, as Tony Robbins says. It, it, it's an approach where there has to be some type of calling, and I have personally worked with eh, I don't know three four hundred people that have like 
I don't know. I don't know what my calling is, man. Like, I'm not really sure. When I say worked with them, I mean like in person. They, they just don't know. And I'm not saying that's a negative thing at all. But try to track it down and do so by being uncomfortable, by being scared, by doing some things that you might not be comfortable doing, things that you might not be an expert in. The fear hurdle that we all have, including myself, including David, including every single listener here, we all have some type of fear. Whatever you want and desire is on the other side of that. It's on the other side of fear. And when you, even when you accomplish everything that you want, even then there's going to be that fear that set, that sets in. It's like, well, now what? what, what, what do we do now? I have it all. And it's okay to be sad and to cry and to be in a moment where you're like vulnerable and you don't know what to do, but be, be creating because your goal on this planet, in my opinion, your purpose for most people, the purpose of life, according to Pablo Picasso is to find your gift and to give it away, right? Be someone who purposely and intentionally gives and provides and loves on the deepest level and magnitude possible. And if you do that, your life's journey will be rewarded. That's awesome, man. And to live a life without purpose, that's where we get to that walking dead scenario. We're, we're mm-hmm. alive, breathing, but we're not alive. Yep. So, yeah, I agree with that. We need to go to God, search our souls, and, and do what we're made to do. Uh, I agree completely. So yeah. real quick, did you mention at some point when you were saying alcohol was involved, was that destructive time like alcoholism or was that just reckless youth? Both. Yeah, definitely both. Um, yeah, go back to that period because, you know, we all have different <laughs> demons. No, no, it's just we all have no, different no, I was just Go back to when you're an alcoholic. They're talking about that. <laughs> no, we, we should. We're here to help you know? people. Not, you know, we're here to help Bro, people. I'm with you. Like, it, it is a destructive force that a lot of people don't realize. Like, for it's me, medicating. It's medicating. Yes, yes. It doesn't matter if it's porn, alcohol, drugs. Alcohol and drugs are the same. Yeah. But it doesn't matter if cutting, it's all medication to pain. So talk about what led you to it, what happened during it, and how did you get out of it? The easy leading, stuff, right? Easy stuff. Oh, dude, simple. Like the, the the leading to it, I think for most people is to have a fun time and to be with friends and and to just be sociable and to be liked and to be enjoyed. Like that's that's the leading up to it. Most people don't start off drinking at like a younger age. I started drinking when I was like 16, just with friends, you know, at parties and just whatever. It wasn't anything too malicious. But over time, you start developing like that. Okay, I drink. People like me and I don't want to not be liked. So therefore, I will always drink. Even if I don't really feel like it, I'll just drink and I'll drink to excess. And then, you know, the more I drink, the more people like me and so on and so forth. And you always have like these rituals that start building in these, in these instances and practices where you just go too far. And I sat down one day, man, and just did like a, like a pros and cons journal, you know, the only pro and, and think, let me know if you think of another one. The only pro is in the moment I have fun. (laughs) Like that was it. That was the only positive of drinking. 
And the negatives go down a long list from not only just money, right? But to body damage. And I'm not advocating that you have to be sober your entire life. I do currently drink alcohol, but there was a time where I was 100% sober. And there, there was a lot of healing in that journey, in that process, because I wanted to uncover the question that you're kind of asking now is like, why do I drink? Or why did I drink? Why did I drink so much? Or why can't I stop myself? And I kind of alluded to it earlier, but the, the answer that I discovered was that I drank so that I wasn't great. I drank so that I would wake up foggy headed and sleepy and I wouldn't be ridiculously energetic and super loud and vibrant and abundant and just shine a bright light on everyone that I interacted with. That's why I drank. And it was a subconscious thing, man. Keep that in mind. I mean, 99% of people who battle with drinking to excess, it's not because there is a massive addiction. It's generally because they want to cover up something that they don't really feel comfortable with internally. It is a medication apiece. It is, it, our brain tells us that. And not only that, man, but if you think about movies, when you see a movie and someone is celebrating something, 99.99% of the time, they celebrate with a drink, right? It, it is like, that's, that's the thing. Like, how many times have, has a friend called you and be like, oh man, you know, let's go out and grab a celebratory workout. <laughs> let's go hang out with, with a celebratory, you know, a uh, hundred, hundred set of lunges or burpees or whatever. Like, it's not, it's never that it's always, let's go celebrate some drinks. And again, I'm not condoning the fact that we shouldn't go and have a good time and spend time with our friends. It's just, there are social norms that anytime I hear or think or believe anything, I always try to push back on it because I want to think of how I can live a little bit differently and how I can shine a little bit differently than some people do or might. Yeah. And that's a good way to think of it. And like we were talking about that self-destruction, that internal like wow things are going well i gotta screw this up <laughs> some people some people have no idea what that's about i personally struggle with that too so i, I haven't found a way to totally defeat that yet so i'm still on my journey like of yeah. self-destructive behavior not necessarily going on getting trashed like that but just with anything i do i guess if someone has an addiction and they're at a low, people expect them to go to that addiction. But what most people don't realize is with addicts, when they're at a high, that's also one of the key times they go to an addiction. And mm -hmm. if you have self-destructive behavior and tendencies, when you're super successful, it's almost like, whoa, I, I don't feel comfortable here. I want to explode things. And is that what you were feeling like? Because you almost sound like you were, you are remarkable and you were trying to explode yourself down to the normal level to fit in. Like, do you remember what you were thinking at that time? Dude, I, 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 absolutely. Miriam Williamson says, it's not our fear that we are, it's not our fear that we will fail. It's that we will be successful beyond measure. Right. That, that's our fear. That's most people's biggest fear, me and you and most entrepreneurs. And it comes from a, a lack of love, a lack of self-respect, a lack of forgiveness. It comes from a, in my, my belief, it comes from my belief and past belief that 
if I became successful, I would separate myself from certain people that I loved, certain relationships that I was in, girlfriend, best friends, people, family members, right? If I became so powerful, so great, so rich, so wealthy, so wise, all the things that I would leave those people and that would cause pain. And so it was easier, again, all this is subconscious, but it was easier to simply not have the success than go through the pain of knowing that most likely some certain people will leave your friendship circle. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. All right. I stayed un, uh, I stayed comfortable. I stayed content. I stayed medicated and I stayed around the exact same people I was with for four or five years and didn't really change. And then eventually people started leaving my life anyway, because it sometimes generally naturally happens. And so I would realize, wow, that wasn't that painful. And then I realized I kind of circle back where I was like, well, in order for me to be at a place where I want, what if I just spend time around people that are amazingly successful? And I started realizing that your net work equals your net worth and understanding that you can spend time around amazing people. And you can spend time around people that wants to celebrate with a run, you know, like a 10 mile run rather than 10 rounds of drinks. And you can spend time with people that are incredibly wealthy and generous. And you can spend time with people who are mega rich and give hundreds of thousands of dollars towards donations a year. And they're awesome because we have all these preconceived notions about how rich people are. And we just want to avoid that pain and avoid the pain of finding out. So we stay settled, we stay content and we, we are easier to, to manipulate our minds that way and not be, not chase our greatness. And then how do you recommend that our listener re refocuses their mind, reprograms their mind, gets that straight. Like you made a great point. The people you hang out with are pretty much what you become like. So if you have people that are a bunch of goofballs, you know, <laughs> I, I, I remember this quote, it was so funny, but I heard a guy say, you know, you can't learn to fly like an Eagle hanging out with the turkeys. And so I, yeah, that's I a good that, one. yeah, that's, I've always loved that quote, but what do you recommend to people stuck? And again, it's not that they're bad people, but if they have no purpose and you're motivated, it's probably not the group you want to be with. What do you say to those people? It's a great question, man. And my, my advice would be find one small thing that you can do that is uncomfortable, that scares you a little bit, preferably and most likely financially. Something that scares you a little bit. For example, when's the last time someone that might be in that situation that you tipped your waiter or waitress 100% of the bill? You know, when's the last time you got a $75 bill and instead of tipping whatever, 10, 20%, you tipped $75, right? When's the last time you did the tiniest things ever that made you afraid, that pushed you out of your comfort zone, that made you think something different, made you believe something different, made you shake up your life just a little bit? When's the last time that occurred? And then find ways to replicate that on a relatively frequent basis because that is how you start to find out who you are is to push those boundaries, push those fears a little bit and really push yourself to the limits of knowing where your mind is. And the only way you can do that is by doing things you've never done before, which oftentimes are both scary and uncomfortable. Yeah. And I love how you said, push your limits. 
because if you picture this in a gym kind of scenario, if you always bench, just picking stuff, but if you always bench like 150 and you throw on 700 pounds, you're going to crush yourself, right? Yeah, you're toast. Yeah. yeah. But to say, challenge yourself, well, let's try 250. You know what I mean? Like that's just the mental difference and you have a spotter. But what Jeremy's saying isn't go run out and throw yourself in a ton of debt. That's not necessarily what you want to do. Correct. But what he is saying is maybe put some pressure on, put some extra weight. Okay, I'm going to give this, this waiter or waitress an extra 100 bucks. I got to make that up. So it gives you a little bit of healthy pressure, yep. not stress. So listen to what Jeremy's saying real clear. He's not telling you to go into debt, the borrower or servant to the lender. You don't want to be in debt, but you do want to put healthy pressure on yourself. There's been times in my life, especially when I was in sales. Did you ever do this, Jeremy, where you bought something that you wouldn't normally buy? So you had to make more money to afford it because you just have to push yourself. <laughs> there, it's very interesting you say that because I, I do think that there are pros and cons to doing that. There's more cons than pros, but there are pros. The answer is yes, Absolutely. The ironic part is there's actually a universal law about money that states that money will always come to those who need it. And most people don't fully believe that. But the weird part is if you do go and buy something that you don't need, right, then you don't actually need it. So even though you're buying it, like money's not going to necessarily come to you. But let's say, as an example, you go, I need to go on this trip because I don't know, it would change my life. So me and my family, we're going to go on this like meditation journey, me and my wife, and it's going to cost $1,200 for the weekend. And I don't have $1,200. And then you buy that thing. But that's, that's, a, that's a, a spiritual need, an emotional need. That, that is a need. You buy that thing that's going to challenge you and scare you and push you out of your comfort zone, or you need to get out of your comfort zone. So you do tip that waitress $100 or you take a whole day off of work so that you can read a whole book in a day. Something that 99.9% .9 of Americans have never done, right? Take a day off of work and then just go read a book for a whole day. The book, a book with the word money in the title so that you can study money just like my dad told me to do. Well, in order to make the difference up between you and your work that day, right? You got to, that money has to come to you when you need it in that type of way the money will come back to you. It'll find you. Now, do you need that, that pair of shoes or that new couch or that new TV? Probably not. So the money won't come to you immediately. It, it begins to do it later, but you have to build up to a certain skill of, of bringing it into your life, attracting it into your life, thinking and understanding that those needs that we have, like, bro, I just finished my tax bill and I'm going to pay over $100,000 in taxes, which is more money than I wanted to at one point in time make an entire year. Yeah. Isn't you know? Awesome? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. And I'm like, oh, geez, I do have it. Like I can't pay it, but I'm also like, whoa, like that. And that's after all of the things, you know, that's after all like the, the CPAs and the write-offs and all the stuff. It's like, oh boy. Now, I'm not going to go down too much about taxes, but just in general, that money will come to me and I will be able to pay it. I know it. I know it will. And it, it could be, it could be from a client who's listening to this. Now they, they have $10 million and like, Jeremy, I'll pay a hundred thousand dollars. Help me double my 10 million. You never know where the money's going to come from, but I know that's a wild, wild answer to your question, but in general, 
<laughs> yes. If you need something, and I have done it before, if you if it need in a way like your heart needs it, the money will come. Yeah. Yeah, and I completely agree. I mean, God always provides your needs, and a lot of times He just provides your wants. So that's a that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And again, I don't think you or I are telling people to be reckless or lavish. We're just saying stretch yourself. Yep, so absolutely. Where are you today, man? I've loved this interview. I'd love spending time with you. Hopefully we continue the friendship, but where's Jeremy today? Where are you going and how can us as the audience and our remarkable community help you get there? I appreciate that, man. Where am I right now? I mean, physically I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am... Uh, about to move into a new house. I just got married a month ago. I'm going to start a family. I'm hey, a- congratulations, man. Yeah, thanks, brother. Thank you. I'm thrilled about that because, again, like we talked about the whole journey and there was there was a lot of struggle. And about a year ago, I was asked two very important questions. What's the, you know, life is, and like, insert my answer, and then do I believe in miracles? And my answer to do I believe in miracles was no. And I said, life is about the pursuit of happiness. And then the person I was working with was like, well, how about you just choose to be happy now, right? Instead of pursuing it, why don't you just be happy? And do you believe miracles? Like I said, no, that, that changed about two and a half, three months after that. I realized that I absolutely do believe in miracles and I, I just didn't believe my definition of miracles at the time. So for me, my journey is a large one, man. I have a very healthy appetite of figuring out how I can help millions and millions of people. One of my goals is to change the top 1% of the world into the top 2% so that all the newspapers and all the, all the radio stations and all the websites, right? They can't say the top 1% have all the wealth of the world and it's now the top 2%. And I think in my lifetime, I can look back and go, yep, there it is. The top 2% have all the wealth. I think it could be like a numerical evidence that I was here. And not only that, but my, my education is all free and people can go to my website at any time. Like I don't have an offering. I don't really have like a pitch. It's just, it's all free. Like it just go to my website and, and just study. Like it's all there. I, it's not free for me, but it's free for you. And I think having the ability of taking that information and putting it into the federal prison system here in America, which I'm working on and putting it into foster homes and foster centers, which I'm working on and putting it into shelters and, and, and places where people might need access to some basic financial knowledge, school systems, right? Making those types of changes where I sat, I sit down and I realize with the right team and the right people behind me, because I'm not doing any of this on my own, any of this. I, fu- I finally realized that I can, I can rely on other people and other talent and trust and really lean into people helping me. And then they, they, can, help, they can help me fulfill my mission, which my personal mission is to enrich lives with mentally liberating education. That's why I'm here. And that mentally liberating education can be financial. It can be spiritual. It can be emotional. It can be exactly what we, me and you are doing in this podcast. And that's why I you know, wanted to work with you and Luis connected us is because that's, that's my goal. And you help fulfill that mission. You are doing the exact same thing, speaking to and creating, helping people realize how remarkable the world is. And my, my journey, man, from here is really going to be that all assets and facets of creating education and, and putting a platform together where education is key and helping people realize that and see it and comprehend it and understand it is going to be 
uh, my, my current journey in all aspects of life. Man, that's so fantastic, Jeremy. So if some of our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach you? And again, whatever you say, we'll put in the show notes. But for yeah. our listeners, whether it's video cast or podcast, how can they get a hold of you? Best way is like to text me. Um, <laughs> but I, my cell phone's everywhere all over the internet. But second from that, email me is great or go to my website. My website is reallifetrading.com. Obviously, I'm on Instagram, all the social medias. You, you can randomly Google me, but that's not because I'm cool. It's just because I have a lot of videos on YouTube and YouTube's owned by Google. So you can go uh, to Google and just type in Jeremy Newsome with two R's, Jeremy Newsome, and I'm everywhere, man, Twitter, Instagram, all the places. And I would just say, just message me. Uh, I try to make it where I am connectable by, by and to anyone. I do not live in an ivory tower. I am special, but I'm not hard to get a hold of. And I can make time for anyone for any reason and for any calling. And if I can't that day, I'll try to make time later that week or that month, but it's just all about scheduling and priorities. So that's, that's it, man. If, if anyone here has been moved by some education, like I said, go to reallifetrading.com, click on any of the free resources and uh, let David know that, you know, how much you appreciate his time and his energy for doing these podcasts, because man, you yourself are remarkable brother and putting in this amount of energy and work is a challenge, but you're doing it for the right reasons. And that's why you are, and will be continue to be rewarded. Oh, thank you so much, Jeremy. I have really thoroughly enjoyed this. I know our listeners have before we close this episode and we'll close a friendship. Maybe we'll, you know, yes. we'll continue yes. our guests get a hold of you, but anything else, any final thoughts or parting ideas that you want to impart to the audience? The biggest aspect of life really should be to find those hidden fears that you have mentally and create causes that help propel you past them. Every one of us has the smallest fears, the things that we might not think we are afraid of, but with really, really proper self-reflection and breathing and meditation and prayer, you have the ability to overcome anything. You can do anything. You are absolutely possible. In fact, the word I'm possible is spelled impossible. So a lot of people get strung up on that. Having and realizing that simple truth that nothing in life is certain unless you make it so, Go out and create the world of your dreams. And if you ever need help with that, reach out to me because I can help you dream. I can help you achieve those dreams. And I am absolutely honored and privileged to be here, man. So thank you so much for the opportunity. No, man. Thank you. It's been an honor. You really are a remarkable guy, man. And I appreciate you being here. I know our community appreciates you, Jeremy. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, stick around for one more minute. We got a special treat for you. And Jeremy, thank you for being here, brother. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Oh, and hey, one more last note. Yep. I thought this is cool. I've been thinking of it like the whole episode. A lot of our podcast is audio only. But yeah. for those of you who are watching the video cast or check it out, Jeremy looks like just like one of the superheroes on our cover. 
And if you've seen our artwork, Jeremy, it's real people, everyday people, but their shadow is the hero that's inside of us all that God made. And you look just like one of the characters on our cover with that big beard, man. <laughs> that's awesome, man. It I is awesome. That. It is awesome. And we have another one. What was funny is I had the, I had the designer, my good friend, Danny Covey in Canada, come up with a cover that, that we partially released, but we're going to release it later with someone in a wheelchair and yes. no joke, God fulfilled that. And there's a guy who had, he had a spine damage in the war. And now he's one of the first legit, he's got implants and he's walking again. And it's just crazy, like cyborg type stuff. And he's going to be on the show. So it's cool to see. I'm looking at you and looking at our podcast cover. I'm like, <laughs> this is meant to be. I love it, man. Thank you so much for that, bro. I really appreciate it. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. To all of you, we love you. Hang out for one more minute for this special offer and we'll see you soon. Bye. Was that not a remarkable episode, ladies and gentlemen? With that all said, if you're interested in continuing the journey of learning how to invest or where to start or what to do, or you just want to reach out and talk to Jeremy about some of the other issues we talked about, you know, Jehovah Witness, freeing yourself from self-destruction, just being a generally awesome dude you want to hang out with. Jeremy came back and he's got a special offer for you. So Jeremy, go ahead and tell our listeners what you have in store for them. Yeah, man, I'm here. And the special offer I have is if you go to www, I'm not the, anyone ever types that in again, uh, reallifetrading.com forward slash remarkable. I'm going to provide two free recording sessions of me working with a premium coaching student of mine. And you're going to be able to watch the entire thing 100% for free. And it's just for you, just on this page. I don't have that anywhere else. I've never built it. So you'll be able to get those two coaching interviews. And if you are interested in working with me on a one-on-one -on -one basis, that's kind of like my preferred style to do it. I'll also have a link where you can schedule a complimentary 30-minute phone call with me and uh, we'll sit down and chat and we'll work together and, and I'll help you with whatever you may need and assistance with. If you think I can provide value to you, that's my number one goal in life. And uh, that'll be just for your listeners, David. Man, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeremy. So if you're interested in trading, check that out. Go to who is reallifetrading.com forward slash remarkable. And if you don't understand what Jeremy's offering you, you're going to get two real life coaching sessions with yep. real people and real money and real problems and real questions. That's invaluable. That's hands-on learning. So check those out. Jeremy, thank you so much for being with us today. We love you, man. As our audience, we love you. Have a great day. And like our slogan says, don't just listen to this episode, but do the knowledge. Repeat it every day for a great life in this world and the next. I'm David Pasqualone. This is the Remarkable People Podcast. That was Jeremy. And we'll see you next week. Ciao. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. Remarkable People Podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life.